Good morning. Good to see everyone out this morning. Before I, uh, before I actually begin my lesson, I want to back up for just a minute. And uh, I, I want to say thank you to, to a lot of people. The last time I preached, if you remember, I was sort of suffering through a migraine. And to be honest with you, I don't remember much about that morning. <laughs> um, but a lot of you said a lot of encouraging things to me. You, you were very kind and you, you spoke or you said good things about the lesson. And uh, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate that. That was a, uh, in a lot of ways, that was a very embarrassing morning for me. But you were very kind, you were very understanding, and I appreciate it. Lord willing, that's not going to happen this morning. I'm looking at you now, and I can see all of you. So that was better than the last time I stood up here. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. And, and, and again, Lord willing, that won't happen this morning. As those of us who are parents understand, there's nothing that we desire more for our children than, than the best. Spiritually speaking, we want them to learn God's Word. We want them to excel in it. We want them to become knowledgeable and, and to become, you know, if we have sons, we want them to become preachers and elders and deacons. And, and we want our daughters to be filled with the knowledge of the Bible so they can be faithful wives and, and, and mothers to, our, uh, to their children. We always want what is best for our children. And in our reading from this past week in Matthew chapter 20, we see another instance of a mother wanting what is best for her children. And it comes in the form of the mother of James and John. And she comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, and she has a request for her sons. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, it is recorded, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said unto him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and on your left. The mother of James and John wanted what was best for her children. What better for them than to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he, when he came into his kingdom? Yet the thing about it is she wasn't aware of the significance of what she was asking for her children. Serving in his kingdom would require great sacrifice, and at times it would require great suffering. And Jesus points that out in his response to her, beginning in verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, Yes, we are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been appointed, and, or rather it, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Her request could not be granted by Jesus, for one thing. He says that that position was only to be granted by his Father. But the request that she was making, although she had the best of intentions for her son, she really wasn't sure what she was asking. She didn't understand what it was that she was requesting on behalf of her son. Now, as we continue reading in verse 24, we find out that this request made the other apostles very angry. Verse 24, And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. As you can imagine, being in that group, and you hear that these two were wanting something that perhaps the others also wanted, but their mother had asked for it, they became indignant. But as is so oftentimes the case, what Jesus does is, he takes this opportunity, and he presents a lesson not only to his apostles at this time, but a lesson that we would do well to remember and what the basis of our sermon this morning will be, will be centered around. Beginning in verse 25, it says that Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know what the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, in the midst of this, of this request that was made by the mother of James and John, and the, the apostles getting angry, Jesus recognizes an opportunity to teach an important lesson to, to his disciples and to us. That to be great in the kingdom of heaven, one must be a servant. Just as, God, or just as Christ himself came to serve. And you see, what, what Jesus does is he goes so far opposite of what the world would have us to believe. The world will have, have us to believe that it is our right to sit back and have everyone wait on us hand and foot and for us to be able to put up our feet and have everyone serve for us. And the more people who are serving us, the greater we are. But you see, what Jesus says here is, no, being served does not make you great. Serving makes you great. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to just think about these thoughts for a few minutes. And I want us to begin by thinking about how we have been served by greatness. When we stop and we think about it, we have been served by such great men and women throughout, the, throughout history and throughout the Bible, it can get easy for us to feel pampered. It can get easy for us to think that maybe perhaps that's the way it should be, that everybody should serve us. But really where, where it all is, is in serving us. And so in our few minutes this morning, that's what, I, that's what I hope for us to do. And we're going to begin by looking at how we have been served by greatness. Before we go into our lesson, let's, let's take a moment and go to God in prayer. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful Lord's Day that you've blessed us with to come together and to take a few minutes and to study from your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide us in our study this morning. That as we examine your word and we can see how greatly we have been served by others, that it can be an encouragement to us to, to be servants in your kingdom. To realize that true greatness and true happiness comes by being a servant rather than being served. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son to, to present to us these lessons and to die on the cross for our sins. To be the ultimate example of a servant so that we could see how we ought to live. Father, we thank you so much for revealing your word to us and giving us these, these opportunities to gather together and study. Father, we pray that you'll bless us this morning. Be with us as we live in this sinful world and help us to resist the temptations that Satan puts before us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Truly, we have been served by greatness, and it begins by Jesus himself. We have been served by the Son of God. He himself says in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. There's no greater example of a servant than Jesus Christ himself. You see that as we read through the life of Christ. And we see so oftentimes where he put himself in the position of a servant and he washed his apostles' feet. And now he himself was a servant by the fact that he would associate with the sinners and the tax collectors upon whom no one else wanted anything to do with. And he was a servant in the aspect that he was teaching people the Word of God. And he was a servant, obviously, from the standpoint of 
giving His life so that we could have our sins forgiven. And even now, this very day, He continues to be a servant to us. Not only did He do all those things for us, not only did He give His life for us, even today He continues to be that servant. In, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, the Hebrew writer says, But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently, therefore He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Even now, He is a servant for us by, by interceding for us to our Father. There's no greater example of a servant that we could come up with than Jesus Christ. He set the bar. He set the standard. But have we ever stopped and thought about the fact that, that Jesus Christ serves me? He put Himself in the place of a servant to fulfill the needs that you and I have. He was not so above it that He felt that He needed to be served. Rather, He understood that He Himself needed to, be made, needed to become humble and be your servant. Do you think that we have been served by greatness when we think about being served by the Son of God? Well, surely we have. But it's not only the fact that we have been served by Jesus we have also been served by others. We have been served by the prophets. Do you realize that the prophets, in the times in which they lived, they lived their life realizing they were not going to see the fulfillment of the things about which they, they, uh, they preached and taught about. They were not going to see the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. They were not going to see the kingdom of, of God come in the form of the church, but yet they continued to serve for who? Not only for themselves and the service that they made unto God, but they served for us. Turn with me, if you will, over to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, Peter writes about this very thing. And he makes mention of, he makes mention of who the prophets were really serving in their life and in their work. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Peter says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. Now tell me something. Where would we be if we had not been served by men like Moses or Daniel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Obadiah or Amos or Micah or any of those prophets who spent their life in service to God realizing they weren't going to see the fulfillment of the things about which they taught. Where would we be if those men had not been there? Think about how much we would have missed. Think about how the, the picture would not be complete had those men not given their life in service, not only to God, but in service to you. And in service to me. It's an amazing thing to think about when you stop and you realize that these men worked, worked so hard and they so diligently served 
so that I could have a complete revelation. So that you and I could understand the, the full body of the Word of God. But it's not only that Jesus was a servant to us. It's not only that we were served by the prophets. We have also been served by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend the entire lesson talking about how the Holy Spirit serves unto us. That could be a sermon series in and of itself. But if you notice here, even in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, Peter makes mention of how the Spirit was serving the prophets. In beginning in verse 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them, talking about the prophets, was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. The Spirit himself was working through the prophets, was serving them, was, was revealing to them the things that were going to happen. Well, does it not make sense that if the Holy Spirit were ser serving the prophets and the prophets are serving us, that the Holy Spirit was also serving us by revealing these things to the prophets so that they could be written down and given to us? Was it not the Holy Spirit that inspired the apostles as they went out and they preached the gospel? In, in John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says, but when, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. It was the Holy Spirit that was working through the apostles to reveal the gospel of Christ. It was that direction from the Holy Spirit that revealed to us the mind of God through the preaching of the apostles. And while we're mentioning the apostles, let's go ahead and say we've also been served by them. Men who offered their life as a sacrifice, men who, who, who dedicated their life to preaching the gospel, to writing letters, to going to various places and preaching and teaching the lost. Where, have you ever thought how things would be different if Paul and Peter and James and John and Matthew and all of these men had decided not to preach the gospel? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God would have used other men had these not been there. But think about how different our view and our, our Bible would be if Paul was not there. Or if Peter was not a part of it. Or if any of the apostles had not spent their life serving us by revealing to us the gospel. It's through these men that we have come to believe in Christ. In John chapter 17, when Christ is making that, that urgent prayer to His Father before he, before he goes to His death, He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in Me through their word. We have been served by men like Peter and James and John and Paul, men who suffered so that we could, so that we could have the gospel. And you think about the, the trials and the tribulations that these men went through, the sufferings that they endured simply so that the gospel could, could be preached. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in his letter to the, to the church at Corinth, Paul reminds us of the state of some of these men who were going out and preaching. He reminds us of, of what their day-to-day -day life was like. We think about these men, and oftentimes we don't remember, or at least I don't, Remember sort of how tough their life was. First Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned unto death. 
because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you apply for that job? If you saw that type of job description out there, people who are going to be roughly treated and homeless, you're going to be reviled, you're going to be slandered, you're going to be hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed, and at times you're going to be homeless, wanted. Are you going to go and apply for that job? But these men did. That was the life that they lived. Why? So that the gospel could be spread. So that you and I could have the truth of God's Word. That's why they did it. Do you think we've been served by greatness? Surely we have. Look at what these men did. Look at the things that they endured. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul will go through and he will describe all of the things that happened to him and how he had been beaten and how he had been in prison and how he had been shipwrecked. All for the sake of the gospel. Truly, brethren, we have been served by greatness. We can't sit back and say no one has ever done anything for us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because Brother Waters did an excellent job, but we have also been served by the angels. I think he, I, I think he pointed that out to us. How they are ministering spirits unto us and how they are there to help us and to, and to be there for us. We've been served by other Christians. Someone took the time to teach us the gospel. There are those now who take time to teach our children and continue to teach Bible classes and to help us grow and to help us mature in, in the faith. How many times has a Christian come by to help us when we were in need? When we were sick, they brought us food. When they found out that we were in trouble, they, they stopped immediately and offered prayers up, and, uh, up to God for us. They were being a servant for us. You see, when we stop and we think about it, it's easy to feel pampered by this because think about who all has served us. We've had Christ Himself be a servant to us. We've had the prophets. We've had the apostles. We've had other Christians be a servant unto us. They've done all these things for us. Do we sometimes take it for granted? I'm guilty of not realizing how served I have been by these people. So what do we do to make sure that we follow after their example? Jesus said if we want to be great in the kingdom of, of, of heaven, then we should be a servant. So how do we do that? Well, I'll, I'll offer you, I'll offer five Suggestions. These aren't these aren't the only ones, but I'll offer five. First off, we can serve by by unifying the body of Christ. You know, unity among the among the family of Christ is a treasure that should be sought after. 
if you read Psalm 133, which is a, it's a very short psalm, but in Psalm 133 and verse 1, David gets right to the point of it. Psalm 133, beginning in verse 1, David writes, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edges of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down from the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Unity among the family of God is a treasure that should, that, that, that should be desired. If unity among, among the people of Christ was not something important, then why would Christ have spent time in John 17 in that, in that urgent prayer to God? Why then did He in that prayer stop and make a point about, their being, about His followers being perfected in unity? Because Christ realized how important it was that His followers be one. As He and the Father were one, He wanted those who followed Him to be one. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this idea of unity. Striving for the unity of the faith. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There are a myriad of other passages that we could go to that talk about the unity among the brethren. But if Christ spent time in, in, that prayer, in, in, in that prayer to God talking about unity, if Paul spent time talking about it, if David, as he writes about it, says how wonderful it is for brothers to be united together, then shouldn't you and I seek to maintain and strengthen that unity among the family of God? You see, in that way we can serve the family of Christ. We can serve by loving one another. We can serve by sitting down together and constantly searching the Scriptures to ensure that we are all obeying God's Word and that we are following His commands. At times, we can acquiesce to our brethren. Not maintaining a prideful and arrogant attitude, but rather being one of putting others' needs ahead of our own. See, we can serve by unifying the body, but we can also serve by edifying the body, by being an encouragement, by being that one who lifts everyone up and who strengthens the ones who are weak. You know, many have contributed to our spiritual growth. We, there, there's the old saying that no one goes to heaven alone. Because as, because as we are on our journey to heaven, there are those who are pushing us and there are those who are encouraging us and strengthening us as we go along. You can list off people in your mind if you stop and you think about it. You may be going through that list right now. Of those who have, who, who have encouraged you and have built you up and have pushed you along. How can you do that for someone else? How can you be that encouraging voice that encouraging influence to someone else who is weak. 
that we can begin by being there for them. By, under, by being around our brothers and sisters, that we begin to understand when they're weak and when they're struggling and when they begin to have problems. And so we be there for them. And it may be as simple as asking, how are you doing today? Is everything going all right? Can I help you with something? They may never, never have had that before. And you can be that person. You can be a servant to them by being there to encourage them and edify them and lift them up. You can take a special interest in those who are around you. You can always seek to push someone else towards heaven. And in doing that, you'll be doing a service for them. How about we serve together in glorifying God? When our brothers and sisters look around at us when we come to this place of worship and when we gather, when we assemble together to lift up our, our voices in song and when we pray together and when we study together, how about being a servant to somebody else in, in those acts of glorifying God? Do you remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 122 and verse 1? He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Have you ever been around those people who, who are so who always seem so excited to be there. They have a smile on their face. They, they just sort of have a bounce to their step. And there are some of those people that when you're around them, it's almost infectious that they're always in a good mood and they're happy and they're glad to be there. And so it just sort of begins to rub off on you. Do you think the same can apply when we gather together to worship and to glorify our God in heaven? I think it can. Because we never know who is watching us and who we may be encouraging or discouraging. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you an example. Last night, James and Andrea came over to the house to eat with us. They're smiling, so I think they know where I'm going with this. They had been there for a little while, probably over an hour or so, and we we had finally sat down to eat, and we were uh, we were eating. Just having normal conversation. Again, we have a you know a four-year-old and a two-year-old at the table, so the conversation sort of jumps from thing to thing. But as we're sitting there eating, all of a sudden, Emma looks up with as serious a look on her face as she possibly can. And she looks at James and Andrew and she says, Why haven't y'all been coming to church? Now, to their defense, they've been here. Okay, I'm not, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They have been here. But Emma hadn't seen it. And I, she was concerned. Why haven't y'all been coming to church? Now, just as James and Andrea probably didn't realize that those little eyes were watching for them, do we oftentimes realize maybe who is watching us when we are here or when we are not here? To worship God. You see, if someone looks around at us and they see us with that smile on our face and that genuine joy in our heart, then we are that we are glad to be here and we want to sing and we want to pray and we want to study. Do you think that might rub off on somebody else? Or maybe even more if we think about the opposite, if they look around at us and they see us just sort of dragging in here and we don't really care and we're just sort of going through the motions, do you think that can bring somebody else down? 
why not be a servant to those around you by glorifying God and by being the one who is uplifting and encouraging to everybody else? Those of us who, who from time to time lead in the service, we have a tremendous influence and a tremendous responsibility in how we do that because we can influence how everybody else worships. If we approach it with, 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 an, with an excitement and a joy within us, that can be infectious among everybody who is here worshiping. Have you ever thought about that as being a servant? Have you ever thought about how we come together and how we worship God as how you can be a servant to those around you? Simply by our attitude and by how we approach the worship service and glorifying our God. How about being a servant in supplying the needs of our brothers and sisters? This is, this is probably where most of the time we think about service is in this idea of supplying for somebody else. Visiting people when they are sick. Taking food to them. Sitting, sitting with them and just talking because they've had a rough week. Ministering to the poor and to the hungry and to those who are in need. Do you realize when somebody's come to your house and they've brought you food or they've called you on the phone to ask you how you're doing because they've missed you or they've taken time to send you a card or they've done, they've, they've done something nice for you, that what they were doing is they were putting you on a pedestal and putting themselves in the place of a servant. Well, can't you do that for somebody else? Can't, can't, can't I look for more opportunities to supply a need for someone? Christ always looks for that opportunity. Can't I? And finally, how about supplying the need, or, or excuse me, rather, how about serving in multiplying the family of God? Someone led you to Christ. Someone took the time to teach you the gospel. Someone did you the greatest service that could ever be done to you by helping you to come into contact with the blood of Christ. Can't isn't there someone whom we can serve by helping them come to Christ as well? You know, it, it, it's interesting that, that Brent went to, to John chapter 1 because I was going there too. He made a different point than the one that I'm going to make. But in John chapter 1, we see a perfect example of this very, of this very thing, of someone being a servant to someone else to bring them to the gospel. Read it with me if you, if you don't mind quickly. I, I realize we're running out of time. But in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35, again the next day John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard, that heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which, is translated, uh, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, in that, in, in that little paragraph there, did you catch who the servants were? 
First off, we have John. Because what did John say to his two disciples? Behold, as Jesus walked by, behold the Lamb of God. And those two went off and they followed after him. Servant number two was Andrew. One of those two who went and followed. Because what did he do? He went back and he did a service for his brother Peter by telling him about the Messiah. How many did Peter serve? How many thousands did Peter reach with the gospel? You see, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea of being a servant. Someone took the time to teach us the gospel. Someone took enough interest in us that they wanted to serve us by exposing us to the blood of Christ. Who can we serve? Do we have a neighbor that needs this type of service? Do we have a co-worker whom we can serve by telling them about the gospel? Do we have a family member? Is there a cashier at Walmart who needs this type of service? Or our bank teller? Or our barber? Or our doctor? Or, 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 the list can go on and on. Maybe we've never thought about the idea of evangelism as being putting ourselves in the place of a servant. But that's exactly what we're doing. Because we are serving someone else. The greatest gift that could ever be given to them. Having their sins forgiven. Having a, having a relationship with Christ. You see, we can serve in unifying the body of Christ. We can serve in edifying the body. We can serve together in glorifying God. We can serve together by supplying the needs of our brothers and sisters. And we can serve by multiplying the body of Christ. And these aren't the only things to do. There are more things that we could talk about. But here's, here's what we have to remember. We are to be people of service. We are not to be those who sit back and are simply consumers. Rather, what we should be is we should be the producers. People who serve others, not just benefiting from the efforts of others. Because, see, see it's, sort of a, it's sort of a cycle. If, if everyone is seeking to serve someone else, they themselves are going to be served. You see, if we're, if we're constantly serving, and our brother is constantly serving, and our sister is constantly serving, everybody is going to be serving everybody else. No one is going to go without if we are truly servants as Christ instructed us to be. And here's the added bonus. Being servants, as Christ said, is, is where greatness in the kingdom really lies. But being a servant is also the key to happiness. We think, and the world will have us believe, that if we sit back and we have people serve and wait on us, then we're truly going to be happy. That's not the case. Consider Acts 20 and verse 35. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. For the sake of our lesson this morning, we'll change the wording just a little bit. It is more blessed to serve than to be served.
I know there are a lot of servants here among this, among this family of God. I know because I've seen it. I know because I've experienced it. But is there more service that we can offer? Is there some, are there other things that we can be doing more of in our service unto God? I would dare say that there is. In each one of us, we can look and we can find where we need to be, where we need to be a better servant. And maybe our lesson this morning will help us and encourage us to do that.